hip-hop caucuses. Think 100%. You know, unfortunately, a lot has not changed, you know, so writers like myself or, you know, uh, there's I mean, countless ones of my generation who come from that lineage and connect themselves to Black arts movement writers. And if you look at that work, it hasn't evolved because this country hasn't evolved enough. And so while we might be, I might be talking about Sandra Bland now or, or Mike Brown or Tamir Rice or, you know, Breonna Taylor or George Floyd now. So the names have changed, but the condition of our people hasn't changed enough for my poetry to be talking about something else. That's Jessica Caremore, founder and CEO of More Black Press, executive producer of Black Women Rock and founder of the literacy-driven Just Care More Foundation. She is our guest today, and I am Rev Yearwood, your host of the coolest show. Everybody, this is Rev Yearwood, and I am so, I mean, so excited for this conversation um, with not only a dear friend, but an, an amazing individual. I actually want to read her bio before we bring her into the conversation. Uh, she is none other than Jessica Caremore, and she is the founder and CEO of More Black Press, the executive producer of Black Women Rock, and founder of the literacy-driven Just Care More Foundation. She is an internationally renowned poet, playwright and performance artist and producer. Uh, Jessica is the recipient of the 2019 and 2017 Night Arts Award, the 2016 Cressic Arts Fellow, and the NWCP Great Expectations Awardee and Alan Locke Award from the Detroit Institute of Art. She is the author of the recently, and you need to get this book, We Want Our Bodies Back. We're going to get into that conversation. The words don't fit in my mouth, the alphabet versus the ghetto, sunlight through bullet holes, and the critically acclaimed techno choreo poem, Salt City. Her work has been published in numerous literacy collections, and she has performed on stages all over the world including the Apollo Theater, Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, and the London Institute of for Contemporary Arts. Man, my girl, this <laughs> girl care more, is getting it. Uh, she now lives and writes in an historic uh, Detroit neighborhood with her son, King Thomas. Jessica, how are you? I'm blessed, Rev. It's so good to hear your voice. That long bio. You know, I should have sent y'all the um the hip hop bio. You know, that's the, that's like the straight ahead, you know, academic uh, you know, awards and stuff. I was like, wait, let's talk about Nas and Talib Kweli and Jeezy, you know. Just, we can <laughs> we, 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 this, this, we, we, we definitely can. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. So before we get to them, I, I yeah. want to hear about that side. For yeah. those who don't know, who is Jessica Caremore. <laughs> oh, I'm a poet and writer. Um, I'm a mother. Um, I'm somebody mama. Uh, a lot of people's mamas that I uh, didn't make. 
that's for sure. And um, I'm a cultural arts um, advocate. Uh, I create culture. Um, I'm an, I've been an independent full-time writer and artist for about 25 years now uh, from Detroit, Michigan. I spent some good time in Brooklyn and Harlem making my way as an artist there. I started a publishing house in 1997, started publishing poets, um, Saul Williams, um, to name a couple, Danny Simmons, Asha Bendeli, to name a few, Raz Baraka, my brother, who's the, the mayor of Newark. So, if, I mean, I'm institution builder if I'm if I'm nothing else other than just being a mom and an activist and um, and trying to just raise my, my Black son to be excellent um, in this country. And, you know, I advocate for, for women's voices, I hope so, and, and for youth voices as well. So at my core, I'm a writer and, um, and a poet first. Yeah. I wear a lot of hats, though. <laughs> you actually do. You actually wear some of the dopest hats, actually. If ever Thank you. you. I, have a good, I have a good collection <laughs> <laughs> or in real life. Like, I'm a Detroiter, so I do, like, you know, in real life, like, a lot of my my, my job and, and things like that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm out here just being one of the cultural forces, I hope, on the planet, um, pushing culture mm. forward and, and truth forward. And um, it's a real interesting time to be who I am to people right now. Um, I'm real tired because <laughs> I've been asked to do a lot since the pandemic. And uh, you mentioned my book, We Want Our Bodies Back. You know, it came out March 30th, you know, like right in the middle of it. Um, and my whole tour got shut down. And so I took everything I had um, and put, I had to put myself together because of COVID-19. And I'm living in Detroit where, you know, where things are very real for us there. And so I um, had to regroup. And, and redirect my entire, uh, my artistry to online, which is not in the, what I do. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm down with the people. I'm a, I'm a connect to people person. Um, so it hasn't been easy, but I've been doing what I think I'm supposed to do as an artist. And so, you know, that's what I do. You know, I push black voices, you know, I amplify black voices as much as I can. What does that mean to you when you say amplify black voices? Mm, well, I mean, I've been, for 16 years, I've been producing, executive producing and hosting uh, a really amazing multimedia rock concert called Black Women Rock, Daughters of Betty. And it's a concert and educational and empowerment weekend that celebrates Black women in rock and roll. And um, and we celebrate Betty Davis and, you know, with other women like Grace Jones and Tina Turner and the Daughters of Betty, we call ourselves. And so I make a space um, so that people and black people in particular who don't know that black women, you know, are the ones who created rock and roll and continue to be at the forefront of the music genre with not much support from white rock and roll radio stations, let alone so-called urban radio stations who don't support black women who play this music that belongs to our people. And so... Uh, I've been doing that for a long time, you know, and what I mean by Amplify is just like to lift up, to create space um, and to be a void filler. And that's the thing that I think we're supposed to do. I mean, just being, I write poetry and I'm blessed to have great teachers and come from a legacy of Black arts movement writers and Harlow Renaissance writers who were writing before me. And um, so people like Sonia Sanchez and my Baba Gil Scott Heron and Mary Baraka and The Last Poets, Jane Cortez, and Nikki Giovanni, and uh, Lucille Clifton. I come from a great legacy of, of, of great Black writers and poets. Um, but I also am an institution builder and amplifier of voices like my Baba Hakeem Adabuti out of Chicago and Third World Press, one of the biggest 
black mm. publishing houses in the country. And so, you know, I'm a child of that, of that movement um, in a metaphorical, in a metaphorical way, you know? And so I, I have, because I know that institution, black institutions in particular are what keep us uh, going, like asking corporations for money that don't care about my community is not how I've thrived. You know, I've thrived on being able to put my own money into building something I think is important for our community. And so, yeah, amplifying voices that are often uh, silenced and, and not heard enough. You know, it's interesting you say that um, with from Sonia Sanchez and to mm. Mary Baraka and so many yeah. who were critical uh, in yes. the movement in the 20th century. And yes. now you are operating as a poet extraordinaire mm-hmm. in the 21st century. But what's different yes. now of doing mm-hmm. poetry? And I mean, not, not different because obviously mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're hearing and speaking and, and mm-hmm. translating something for us through yeah. poetry about our harm mm-hmm. and our despair, but also our, our wants and our desires. But then what's different mm-hmm. for it now in this movement? How do you see poetry being used? How do you see it being put forth to help the movement along? Like, what's the differences between them and you today? You know, you know to be honest, there's not much in many ways. The biggest difference is technology, obviously. You know, we're, we can, I can get to people. I just, I've, since quarantine, I've done a gig in South America. I did a gig in Dubai. Um, that's the difference. Uh, my virtual tour has been all over the country in Albuquerque and San Francisco and Chicago bookstores supporting Sankofa Books in D.C. Um, and uh, D.C. Bookshop in, in, uh, in Texas. And so um, that's the difference is that now poets who do this thing called poetry are able to connect more easily with the rest of the globe. Um, and I, and, and Amiri, you know, traveled and Sonia has traveled, you know, Sonia, God bless her at 85, you know, has traveled extensively and I've traveled with her um, all over the world. I ended up in South Africa once when she happened to be there. We like ran into each other in Johannesburg. And so, you know, she's, um, I don't think slow her, her, she ain't slowed down really. I think she just kind of stopped <laughs> traveling. The last poets, you know, Abiyo Dune and Umar and, um, and Babatunde just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the last poets. And I was really excited to be a part of that, of that uh, celebration. And they travel all the time. You know, I think they're just in, in before the pandemic had just gone to the UK. And so, um, but the difference is technology and access, you know, access to, um, to parts of Asia, South America. So I've been able to get to Ghana in different places because of the internet, because of places like Instagram and things that I don't even like to be on, to be honest. But I, I do it because it connects me to the rest of the people, the, the rest of the global majority, which is black and brown folks. And so I like to be, and that's, and that's the beauty. Um, as far as the work, you know, it was really deep. It's like, you know, as far as the, <laughs> what we're talking about, you know, unfortunately a lot has not changed, you know? So Writers like myself or Asha Bandeli or Saul Williams or Stacey Anchin, um, you know, uh, there's, I mean, countless ones of my generation who come from that lineage and connect themselves to Black arts movement writers. And um, they, the, if you look at that work, it hasn't evolved because this country hasn't evolved enough. And so while we might be, I might be talking about Sandra Bland now. Or, or Mike Brown or Tamir Rice or, you know, Breonna Taylor or George Floyd. Now, so the names have changed, but the condition of our people hasn't changed enough for my poetry to <laughs> be talking about something else. And so 
I can write about, you know, the butterflies in my garden and I do write about the birds in my on my patio, but really, you know, the work that I'm doing with my is the it's about the liberation of our people and we have not been liberated in 2020. And so you can hear a song, I could read a Sonia Sanchez poem from 30 years ago and it'd be relevant today. And so, yeah, not enough has changed. Not enough distance, but the the only difference really from from it, you know, is really just uh us being having access to technology to the to the rest of the world and being able to get in our voices out in different spaces. Um, I think that's it. Hip hop is, you know, for me, my connection to hip hop is has helped. And I mean, Sonia Sanchez is a big fan of Rock Kim and has spoken about like the power of of hip hop and what hip hop has done with artists like Rock Kim or Talib Kweli or Black Thought, for that matter, um, to keeping poets. Came the idea of language um, being the storytellers that we are alive um, through a more mainstream source. Um, but poet's been around since the beginning of time. You know, it's not a new thing. No, most definitely. I think for our people, even from, I think, when we first came, you know, to mm. this uh, Turtle Island, I think we have been mm. discussing and fighting in a way um, using poetry. You know, one of the things from, obviously, from Sonia Sanchez to Amy Baraka to Langston Hughes to you name it, um, the one place that, that they've all used would go to would be the Apollo because we would congregate around around uh, those black places where we can speak freely. Um, so actually, I want to uh, play one of your poems from the Apollo now. Stand still above an island, fist straight in the air, scar on my face, long braids in my hair. People fly from all over just to swim near my tide or climb up my long flight of stairs, but they trip on their shoestring lies. Piece by piece, you brought my body to this country. Now that I'm here, your people don't want me. I'm a symbol of freedom, but I'm still not free. I am America's true statue of liberty. Because liberty is just old mother nature. And although you don't love her, she'll never hate you. She's earth, wind, and fire. Don't tempt her to show her power. Turning all weeds to flowers. Looking into her wise eyes will make a blind man see. How can you dare name a Eurocentric girl after me? Asada Shakur, Barbara Jordan, Nikki Giovanni, and Angela Davis. Look it up. These are the true symbols of liberty. That stone-faced French woman ain't gonna save us The same folks who enslaved us I'm sitting at the back of the bus Cause I feel like it And I play ball Cause you pay me to dunk it Dribble to hike it I'm taking all my people back home And breaking them mentally free I'm the walking, talking, breathing Beautiful statue of liberty I sweep crack pipes out schoolyards I nurture my man when times are hard So where's my statue? What the liberated woman gotta do? Place my name in wet cement Every month I pay the rent Put my silhouette on a stamp I'm not a whole slut or a tramp my children aren't on crack, and either am I. I want to see the words go, strong black woman, when the good year blimp flies by. I can bake cookies, bear babies, use auto revolutions, get rings out tubs, slick my hair back on tied and braids. My aura is unafraid, so no statue in the Big Apple can mess with me. I'm the walking, talking, breathing, surviving black Statue of Liberty. So when you hear that, actually, what are your thoughts? I mean, ever look, I know for me, when I... What's the evolution? Yeah, it makes me smile. You know, I was... I think I wrote that poem when I was about... 19, maybe 20 years old. And um, and so it's a poem that, you know, of course, I couldn't write it today. I, I sound different um, and my writing has uh, evolved, but people love that poem and the story that I've heard about my appearance, because I won, you know, as you know, five weeks in a row and with that, with Black Statue of Liberty and then later doing a poem called Black Girl Juice. And I didn't realize how 
rowdy and revolutionary. You know, I was I was 22 when I taught out down that Apollo stage, but I was talking, I said Asada Shakur, Barbara Jordan, Nikki Giovanni, look it up. Like for me to be saying what I was saying then, I remember Steve Harvey. I remember Rachel and the crew. I remember how excited the entire the entire production team was. And I came back and, and did my 20th anniversary there. I bought Black Maroc. We headlined the Women of the World Festival at the Apollo Theater um, a few years ago. And and then so I did Amateur Night and Ray Chu was there. And I've seen Ray Chu over the years. And I've seen Kiki Shepard actually over the years. And so, and Steve just a few times. And so they're still, they're still, they were happy as I was when I started winning because nothing like that had ever happened. And so after the five weeks, you know, they took me off television, but that changed my life, you know, and it was deep is that the, the, the sister on the young actress Zendaya, who I remember there was a little seven-year-old girl on YouTube, Reverend, I, I, I didn't know who this little girl was. I just knew there was a little girl that kind of looked like she could have been my daughter doing Black Statue of Liberty on YouTube. But countless little, little girls and high school girls took that poem and used it for forensics, debates, to win contests. It be, you know, it became one of those signature pieces that changed other people's lives and it really became their poem and not mine. But Zendaya was in, I think, Vogue magazine, something talking about Jessica Kimmore. And I read her, her poem when I was seven years old in front of a classroom of all white students. And I realized that was Zendaya on YouTube who had been doing my poem. And uh, she tweeted me uh, not too long ago talking about meeting Angela Davis. And she said, there was a time when I was reading Jessica Karen Moore's poem, talking about Angela Davis, and now I've met Angela Davis. So you just, you know, like the power of poetry is absolutely out of control. Like I've seen it per- firsthand change my life and who the, the people, the young people I've been able to pour into who I've never met, Zendaya, don't know her in real life. She's that we just follow each other on social media. But this, you just don't know who's watching. And so that moment, and I'm so happy, Rev, that it was a black space on 125th Street because I'm from black Detroit. And, you know, it could have happened anywhere else. But because it happened there, uh, it became a part of our of black history and, and our own history. And and that made it very important for me because, I'm, you know, like in Detroit, we didn't have all these fancy cafes to like read poems at. And so I used to read at hair shows and Oh, you know, hip hop open mics and wherever I could get my voice to cut through a room, that's where I was. So the Apollo was just another black space for me and, a, and an audience that I'll never forget. You know, it, it changed my life. So it, it makes me happy. I do the poem when I'm for little girls. You know, I've done that poem in Soweto, South Africa, when I was doing uh, teaching workshops and things. Um, so if there's a group of young girls um, that I think I can get their attention quickly, that's usually the poem that I, I still go to it, still a go to. Man, I love it. I mean, I think it's Thank you'd be surprised. You. I think it, I think it, that that was your time. I remember watching the mm-hmm. Apollo, and you know, I've I'm I'm become a hip hop political guy, and I remember you know never thinking about how the other side of hip hop. You know, you saw people who were like rapping or doing certain things. So, but those of us who in any other yeah. kind of genre of hip hop, you couldn't see it. That I would see you doing poetry, and you was yeah. killing it. So I was like, yo, <laughs> like, you know, we can. We can do so many different things. Can you mention before about your, that I, I didn't get into your hip hop bio. So let me know, what did I miss in that process? <laughs> That's funny. I'm just kidding. No, but I just, important, it's a very important point that you're making though, because I've always struggled with um, hip hop culture, not including um, this other leg, which is poetry and leaving. That's another element. And even when they, back in the day, we had the source awards where that were a big deal. I remember thinking like, why don't they have, hip hop publishing 
or publishers as a part of as an award? Why aren't there hip hop poets who represent hip hop as an award, hip hop literature? I always felt like they were leaving out a very important voice that I came, I'm a poet of the hip hop generation. I came up on Chuck D, Karis One, Run DMC. I love Rakim. I wanted to be MC like Queen Latifah. Like that, and that sound um, balanced out all the other things that I was doing. And so I think that the, the MCs, you know, they hear it and they see that they can see, hear the difference and that I can write a rhyme, but I'm much better. Um, the aesthetic approach to writing the poem is something different. Um, and that I don't need a beat to write. That the musicality of my words, like Gil Scott Heron, we already have the music is inside the language. And then music has to be written around my language for it to work musically. That's my opinion. Just throwing my voice over hip hop beats has not been my favorite thing to do. But I am excited that sometimes a rapper <laughs> reaches out. And so the first my first professional recording was with Antonio Hart actually on Here Um Here I Stand. He was a saxophone player. Um, on Impulse Records. So we did a record together and I did some uh, Weldon Irvine. I recorded with him, Weldon and the Poets. Uh, but Nas was the first, like, biggest mainstream rap artist. Uh, I did, I opened and closed Nostradamus, um, The Prediction and the Outcome, which is really a big deal at that time because I don't, besides Ursula Rucker, who was my sister, 50 grand all day in Philly. Um, I hadn't heard a lot of poets, you know, because she walked all them first. If y'all don't know Ursula Rucker, you need to just Google search her. She's a, a fierce voice in Philly and activist and my sister. And she's um, on the first three albums, if I'm mistaken, for the Roots albums. She's done, her discography is crazy. And, and so one of those poets that really decided to go with music and discography um, instead of books. And so, and my focus was different, but Nas, Nas was on the first. I remember being in the studio with him and he's saying, you know, I want you to be the first and last thing people hear on the album. You know, rappers aren't usually, you know, the ego of the rapper is, does not usually lend itself to, to such things. And so I was really uh, blown away by uh, my interaction and working with Nas and uh, I, we don't stay in touch. I've seen him over the years at different concerts and we just say hello. Um, but I've always was a big fan of his work and appreciated that moment. And it, it pushed my voice into a lot of young hip hop artists. Nas fans um, knew my, I remember when I met Lupe um, Fiasco for the first time years ago in Dayton when I was hanging out with um, Dave Chappelle and they, David come up, came to my show and Lupe was like, oh, I know you, you're the, you're the poet that was on the Nas album. So that, that's, that was Lupe's, you know, reference to me and so um and i've done i'm on jeezy's church in these streets you know and so that was interesting so I, I really like what i did on jeezy's album um wasn't even like that familiar with jeezy as i should have been when they reached out the producer was i was like jeezy wants you know we want you get you on this jeezy album i was like okay let me let me just look him up see what he's talking about <laughs> to make sure this is gonna be yeah, you know a good fit for my voice and um you know because with you know misogyny and the things that happen with hip-hop you just i gotta be careful and and, uh, and no, I, I really was appreciating what Jeezy was doing and, um, and he's a really nice person. We finally met and all that good stuff. And then I've, I've done a, I just recorded another song with Kareem Riggins, but I'm on Kareem Riggins. People should do great producer, um, produce, I think Commons August Green, Commons last album, uh, Esperanza Spalding. He's worked with Nora Jones, uh, from Detroit, one of the best drummers in the land on the, on the planet for real. One of my favorite drummers. Um, but I work with Kareem on Head Not Sweet. Um, I have the the poetry suite on his album, and we just recorded another record um, that I hope will make his new album. And so, Talib Kweli is the biggest collaboration because Talib didn't just ask me to be on his record. 
um, Talib Kweli, who's one of my best friends, he signed me to his label and put Black Tea, The Legend of Jesse James out, which was, uh, which is a really beautiful balance of poetry and soul and jazz and hip hop and all the things. It's the album that I wanted my Baba Gil Scott Heron to hear before he uh, left us in the physical realm. And so, so I'm busy, you know, and I'm going to do another record with Talib. I got a I got a techno record coming out in um, July 24th with Jeff Mills, who's one of the most famous techno producers and brilliant human beings I've ever met in my life um, uh, out of Detroit. Um, he's not, he lives in actually between Paris and some other places in the States, but he's from Detroit, born and raised. We knew him as the wizard on the radio back in the day. Um, and so Jeff Mills and me and Eddie Folks um, came together. Who's an Eddie Folks who's another pioneer in techno in Detroit. Um, called a group called the Beneficiaries, and our album is "The Crystal City Is Alive." So I really enjoy collaborations musically. You know, um, I'm actually working on a libretto for "We Want Our Bodies Back," and um, and that's where you know the te- the Technocoria poem is indicative of where I'm at with my work. Just very large scale, large scale multimedia work that includes vocals and dance and visuals and all the things. And so, but hip hop is you know it makes sense and in Talib. You know, because, you know, rappers get a bad, get a bad rap, you know. And so he really has been like one of those people, um, one of those brothers who's really has supported my voice in a real tangible way. Um, and I, I, I love him and appreciate him uh, so much for that. Um, I actually just recorded his podcast and and we the black, we were doing this big thing at the National Black Writers Conference this year in Brooklyn that got postponed to November. But we're going to do it virtually now or something like that. So. Yeah, so I think I've been, and and so that's you know, and so Talib and I have done stuff with Not the Wonder, and in any time you know we can, I think Talib and I have at least three or four collaborations out, and so it's always good. But I, I'm enjoy, I enjoy all kinds of music, you know, and rock and roll is a is the music that I I think I love the most. Rock, I like, oh, I'm old school. I, I listen to Marvin Gaye and you know that kind of thing. But but hip hop is part of the culture. I haven't recorded with Rakim. He's on the list. And, and Rakim and I are both on, on you know, HarperCollins, Amistad together. We're, la- we're label bookmates. And so he has a lot of love for me and vice versa. And so I'd like to see that happen at some point. Man, I mean, listen, folks, y'all getting, yeah. y'all getting all the scoop right here. This is amazing. I'm, <laughs> I'm so, you mentioned a lot of things right there. I just want to go back to, I'm going I'm to just kind of okay. unpack that because you said about eight things that I just wanted to just kind of get okay. to what you just said. So first, let me get to you, Jeff Mills, and Eddie Folks, who I dropped in an album listen. on July 24th. That's called Ooh. The Crystal City is Alive. Mm. And so, I'm excited yeah. about that, but tell us more about that LP yeah. and how, I guess for me, uh, how it represents Detroit's rich mm. cultural history. What's really important, I mean, Jeff is a very important figure in Detroit um, music culture history. I grew up listening to him on the radio, like I said before, and and techno is black. And so the and people need to know that, you know, and so Jeff could have pulled any poet in the world, literally, to work with him. Um, no one doesn't want to work with him. Uh, he's a really a genius and and on the, has been on the cutting edge of, of music for a long time. And so he wanted to collaborate with a poet from Detroit in particular and started doing some searches and found my voice and, um, and wanted to collaborate. Um, and that's what we, in Detroit, he wanted to figure out how to wait. Like me and Jeff didn't know each other. I mean, I, just, I was a fan. I knew Eddie Folks, but me and Eddie Folks had never worked together. So he wanted to reach out to someone he hadn't worked with before to say, 
this is what Detroit artists should be doing because I, I mean, so many of us um, are world famous, but the collaborations don't always happen because when you're busy inside the work, um, you just kind of in your you're in your world. I'm in my world p- performing out on my stages that I I'm a part of. And it doesn't always translate into let me get let me holler at Jeff Mills or let me collaborate with Amp Fiddler or, you know, you know, it's, it's just, it doesn't always happen. Um, or Royce the Five Nine, for that matter, who I love to work with. And so sometimes people are just busy in their worlds. And Jeff was like, no, let's let's slow down and let's show people what what, what can happen if we um, people who've been from the same place. Like Jeff has been all over the world. I've been all over the world. But me and Jeff have never met. We've both made significant marks in our own prospective fields but never in, never in the same rooms. And so we wanted to put ourselves in the same room to see what would happen. And the Crystal City is Alive is a line out of literally one of my poems. And I listened to Jeff in the studio, um, which is something that, that people can't always do. I like I like actually listening so I can learn. And I we did some very interesting things with my voice. It's, a, it's an album like no other. It's very experimental. Um, I'm hoping that the techno fans would get with it because techno is, you know, uh, very much about the, the music and, and words sometimes can get in the way. Because I've wanted to work with like, you know, Mike Banks from the Underground Resistance, shout out to Underground Resistance that taught me black institution building when I was just a teenage girl, show me what it was to create a movement um, right there in Detroit and and take it all over to, to Vietnam, to Japan, doing shows at 3 a.m. in front of 100,000 people. Like that's Underground Resistance work. That's Detroit brothers, you know what I mean? And 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 so for me, like for one thing, they have this very strong black voice working with Jeff and Eddie. And uh, Eddie, who's very radical in his own right, you know, was really enjoying the words and the language. And Jeff was, I remember I wrote seven pages, Brad, seven pages of what I thought was the best thing I ever wrote in my <laughs> life. And I sent it to Jeff Mills and Jeff Mills responded. <laughs> That's, he said, very interesting. That was his email back to me. I said, I just wrote seven pages of fire. I said, you know what? But I'm going to go back and write something else. All right. So I went back in and wrote something else. He said, now I can write the music, you know? Mm. And, I, and so our, our relationship and our friendship became um, started on Skype. I actually, he has a, a radio show produced by NASA. Who has a radio show produced by NASA? Jeff Mills. That's and crazy. so the first time I worked with him, it was actually to narrate his NASA radio show. He picks a, artists in the world to collaborate with. And, you know, that's how we began the conversation. And after doing that with me, he said, I think I want to go deeper with you and figure out a way for us to to say something bigger and let's do a record. (laughs) So I just, I can't even explain the excitement that I have in my little body (laughs) about this record, but I'm so ready. And, and um, I'm all about some vinyl, you know, I got a record out right now with my nephew too called I Can't Breathe. I should talk about yeah, it. I mean, most my, definitely. My nephew, my nephew Donovan Moore. Yeah. Um, he, Donovan is an extremely talented uh, filmmaker and producer. And he made this bad record called I Can't Breathe. And I'm so, so proud of him. And so that's out on Bandcamp right now. So people can just look up I Can't Breathe, Jessica Caremore, and, um, and it should come up. Um, I think he goes under, he's under some other name, Ari Javan, A-R-A-R-I-J-O-V-A-N. So Ari Javon is some name that he goes by as an artist, you know, but um, just, you know, some of these millennials really got it because he's able to do everything. He can edit, he can, he can do films, he can make music, he can paint, you know, and so I'm watching them, I'm watching them get down in a, in a really beautiful way. And so um, shout out to the millennials, you know, bring it on some of the grown, grown people into the mix because that, that mix of, of generations is really, um, 
is really fun because I like how I like how they get down because they just, you know, they throw it on band camp. And I'm like, OK, you know, with me, I'm doing a project. I'm real careful with my project. You know, I, I, I don't just throw my stuff on band camp. I don't even go on band camp, you know. And so but he that's he's got that younger energy and he'll take my voice and put it in front of people that, you know, that maybe didn't know who I was yet or something. So. Yeah, I'm always, but I'm always thinking. I'm looking, thinking right now for a libretto for "We Want Our Bodies Back" because I want to see um, uh, this to write an opera, you know, with the poetry, you know, as text. And so I think that's the next, that's the next thing. And um, in, a, in a graphic, I'm working in Salt City, the, the techno choreo poem I wrote about a black girl in 3071 who's born into a salt mine, travels to the future, and can't find her tribe. You know, and so the mantra for Salt City is. We the ones they couldn't kill. And which is after that, doing that in 2019, you know, with the Night Arts money that I won and the Joyce Award money uh, with Aku Kadogo, um, my director, choreographer, who's the woman in yellow for, for Color Girls. So in the tradition of Indazaki Shange's choreo poem, I wrote this futuristic choreo poem about Black folks in the future. And um, I'm pitching it now for a graphic novel that's going to happen. So amplifying black women's voices is <laughs> very, very important. <laughs> That's what's up. No, that is, that is critically important. And, and and you should know that folks who are listening right now, this, this, this show actually airs when it's a podcast. People can check it out through the podcast, through the coolest show, but it's also uh, live on the radio uh, in New York city uh, and in Washington, DC. Um, so shout out to everybody listening in Throughout the boroughs of New York. Yeah. Is that New York and, City? Yeah, hey, DC. Well, you're from Detroit. And uh, I, I think that was clear from the beginning, but also clear and what you're we're discussing with the product you have with Jeff Mills and Eddie Folks. But being from Detroit and Detroit versus everybody, we know that's just kind of like this. Yeah, come on, Tommy Walker's my brother, Tommy. <laughs> yes. Being from Detroit, there is a lot of lead contaminated water and air pollution that paints the sky orange. Um, and part of this show deals with the fact of how we can fight both climate justice and racial justice at the same time. So what's going on there right now in terms of racial mm. justice and mm. climate justice in Detroit? Well, you know, just so we're clear, like, you know, there's still probably about 10,000 people in Detroit living without water. So like, there's people without water. And so during the pandemic, um, an incredible group of people are going to find the name for it. So I say it correctly, group of activists um, who like, we just, you know, water warriors, I think is what we began to call them who were fighting to get the city just to simply turn the water on. Because if you, during the pandemic, when people are dying and everyone's saying, wash your hands. Well, we got thousands of people who don't have running water in their homes. Then how are they going to wash their hands? How are they going to stay clean so that they don't spread a virus to other people, you know? Um, and so that's a, that's a major problem. And then, you know, because the thing is they're shutting off the water of poor folks, but keeping the corporations, you know, who owe them also thousands of dollars, keeping them on. And so um, lots of neglect there that with people, there are people, those water warriors fighting. Um, our incinerator, I know, you know, got shut down, right? So the incinerator was killing us, you know, for 30 years. I mean, black, black lives, you know, m you know, not mattering until some white folks come along. And so that's kind of what happened, you know, like for 30 years, black activists and fighting against that horrible incinerator. And then suddenly because of um, 
gentrified housing and, you know, the population changing in Detroit and being colonized at a very rapid pace, you know, suddenly they cared about the incinerator. So we're glad that that's now actually gone. Um, and then just on a legislative level, we have the water affordability affordability bill. I'm not sure if you're, from, you're probably familiar with that already, but it's, it's basically saying that the water affordability bill allows um, all people um, to pay their bills with dignity. So it's not like a handout. So it's if you make a million dollars a year, you pay a hundred K a year. If you make 10 K, you pay a thousand. If you pay you pay 10% of what you can afford to pay because water is a right, right? It's a human right. There's no reason why everyone in America, which is feeling like a third world country more and more every day, supposed to be this first world country, supposed to be on the front line of all this, all these things. And we can't get humanity right. Like everybody should have water. <laughs> like people have, there's people here have access of uh, so much, so much money that they throw away. I want people to throw away food, you know, there's no reason. So we shouldn't have elderly folks, disabled folks, poor folks, um, you know, who are on fixed incomes having to struggle like that for just a basic need of water. It's, it's you know, it's really the most disgusting thing that we've had to fight for as a community um, just to simply make water available to everybody. But um, those those um, those water warriors are out there. I think there's another group. Um, I think it's Frontline Detroit um, that is out there. And uh, I want to just really shout out my sister Piper Carter. I, I, I think if you have, if you haven't had Piper on the show, I mean, she really has been, you know, about environmental justice, and I've been so proud of her. You know, she supports women, Women in Hip Hop Foundation, um, and does work with Frontline Detroit. And the Rising Majority is actually the name of the other group. So we're fighting the good fight, you know, absolutely. The incinerator was a was a win, but it didn't. You know, it's like it's a win, but okay, y'all should have been done that, right? How many people already got sick and have got cancer and died from that? Um, and and it continues, but the, the water rights issue is, I mean, what happened to Governor Snyder, what Governor Snyder, what they did to people in Flint? You know, the water in Flint is still not clean. And we got the Great Lakes. We got some of the cleanest water in the country. Like, you know, and, and, and for us to have this clean, beautiful water and then people not just not having access to it, just based on greed and, and just lack of humanity. It's really sick. So, you know, there's lots of work to still do. No, most definitely. And, and as many of you know, my day job is I'm the president of the Hip Hop Caucus. And actually, Piper is our Detroit Hip Hop Caucus rep. Yeah, so yeah. we uh, definitely want to shout out. She's a, she is amazing. She's yes, also she Howard Brad. Got, <laughs> put that in there somehow. <laughs> shout out Howard, Howard in the mix, uh, in the process. Uh, but nah, she is powerful. So like all the women that come out of Detroit, y'all be ready to fight. Oh, listen, like, we the blackest women y'all, you know. Just so you could listen, like I don't get, we don't don't get it twisted. It's like they're the blackest women in the world come out of Detroit. You know, our, our mamas and daddies is from Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi. So that we really country, but we just got some city edge to us. But we really is Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi. Don't yeah, for sure. So that's 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 real. I would tell you, I'm from I'm from Louisiana. I go to Detroit. I feel at home. I feel like I'm like, man, is this is this ninth ward, the seventh ward? It'd be fun. It's like yeah. home. Listen, it's Huntsville, Alabama, <laughs> with a couple more buildings. Okay, oh, so man. yeah, and it's just so I love that it's still like people don't realize how like you know I was you know Dave Chappelle was just saying this. I think it's like one of the few black cities that's left. You know, like we're still 85 percent of the population, man. We still we still fighting that. It doesn't look like it. If you just go downtown to the Wayne State area, they call the you know, the, the, what we call the Cass Corridor, uh, which is renamed Midtown. You know, this renaming of our thing. The Joe Lewis Arena just got tore down. I just, you know, 
devastated by it, you know. And now the the Red Wings play at the Little Caesars Arena, place named after a pizza company instead of Joe Lewis. You know, it's just hurtful. Some of the things that happen uh, to basically devalue the history of Black folks who made the city great. You know, my daddy, Tom Moore, helped build Detroit. Like Black fathers and mothers helped build the city. Up South, up South people. That's what we are. We Up South people. We're the children of Up South people, movement people who migrated for work and opportunity to, to come out of the South that was extremely segregated. And, you know, my father was born in 1924 in Alabama. You know, he was in the middle of that slavery. Like 1924 was serious segregation. My father, you know, he did not have an easy way. And so getting him moving to Detroit and finding his way there and going back to Alabama to bring more brothers and sisters up to find jobs and opportunity outside the South, um, help make that city what it is today. So folks need to recognize who come in, you know, with all their ideas and their name changes of, of city blocks and tearing down history and architecture that really is the, re- the heartbeat and the soul of what made the city great. You know, they need to they, they need to recognize because Detroit is the old black. I always say that we the old black man is, you know, we go back and it's, it's old black grandmothers and grandmothers and people who came up to make that city um, truly the historical marker. And that's why the music comes out the way it is. That's why Motown sound the way it does. That's why poets like Dudley Randall, you know, um, came came out of that city, Naomi Law Magic, you know, some of my my, my teachers, you know, and that we, we have a certain uh, a certain thing with us that, yeah, like you come from Louisiana, you come to Detroit, you feel at home. Any any Southern folks come to the D, gonna feel like they at the crib and you can get some, you get that good food too. <laughs> we got that same kitchen. You know what I'm saying? The same there kitchen is. is there. Oh, man. I love that. Now, that, that, that that's hard to, I will say, I, I won't touch that one because my folks in Louisiana, you know, they take that kitchen, <laughs> they take that cooking thing real serious down there. But that's but Real serious, <laughs> of course. But of I want to sell some books now. I actually want to sell some books because oh, yeah. you, you got. Please sell some books. No, let's please, <laughs> please. We got all y'all folks listening, yeah. tuning in. This is our time. So this is time for you to make sure we bump up the book category here because you got a book. I do. Um, that I think people need to get. It's called We Want Our Bodies Back. And you recently launched as a new collective uh, of and a new collection of poems that's speaking to the creative and intellectual power of Black women, police brutality, and just the experience of Black women in America. So I guess before people going, y'all going to buy the book, y'all going to get the book, but I need you to tell the people what does the title uh, we want our bodies back represent. In the title, um, we want our bodies back means so many things probably to different people and people have taken it and interpreted the way they want. And that's great. But the poem, the title poem for the book is for Sandra Bland, who we hopefully know was killed in police custody at 28 years old after a traffic stop. And so I wrote the poem and I knew that that poem had to be the center of the voice of this book. And um, and this voice is not just for women because brothers need to read this book and women of all colors can read the book and relate, and they have. Um, but that's what the, the, it's the cornerstone of what this, this book is about. And it's not about, you know, um, what how men are supposed to treat us. It's the beautiful way that we should treat ourselves. So it's a celebration piece. I mean, I'm celebrating Sonia Sanchez in this book. I'm celebrating um, Jane Cortez. I'm celebrating Ruby D. I'm celebrating Aretha Franklin. So I'm writing poems that um, even Debbie Thomas, who was, you know, um, uh, the famous, um, you know, uh, Olympic skater. And so, you know, just really pulling 
uh, Black women's voices as and into the forefront and telling their stories through poems and and telling my own personal story. It's a very personal piece. Um, I got poems from my daddy in here and uh, poems from Maya Angelou in here and Malcolm X and everyone that shaped me. And so, um, yeah, it's an important thing because we want to get, you know, Black authors on bestseller lists. And so this is a really big deal for me, Rev, because I've been, as you know, publishing through more Black press. So I got other books. People can go to jessicacaremore.com and you can support me today by getting Sunlight Through Bullet Holes or God Is Not an American. Like go get those other books that I already wrote that are just as good as this one. But this one is really important because it isn't a a mainstream press. I'm a Stott Harper Collins and I'm the first black woman poet since Gwendolyn Brooks to be on that press. And so that's a really big deal. Yeah, they've taken a chance with poetry and and, and presses don't. So shout out to to Harper and, 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 my, and my beautiful team and, and editor Patrick Bass over at Amistad for taking a chance on, on a black woman poet. But we have to show them that black women poets can sell books. And, and so don't just buy one. <laughs> like it's a great gift for a, a young person, a college student, um, anyone that's kind of trying to find their way. A lot of white folks that, that had bought the book have been tweeting me and it's responding to it saying it just has been an incredible journey for them. And even though they can't relate to everything that's in the book and definitely not my story, but they uh, are able to empathize. And like a lot of folks who are trying to be right right now, I've been in a lot of those conversations where people are like trying to figure out what to do with um, do with their connection to Black Lives Matter. You know, some of my white friends call and say, Jessica, how can we support what? And I'm like, buy the book. And then you, they need to have conversations among themselves. How does the work touch you? What, what, did, what would the poem say that uh, affected your life in some way? Or what did you learn from the poem? And so the, there's a lot that can be done um, curriculum wise. So I'm trying to listen to the educators who are listening, you know, include we want our bodies back in your curriculum which because we don't have, you know, Sonia Sanchez, right? Or Mary Baraka in our curriculums and our literature in American history, right? So that, you know, we're talking about defund the police, like there's some defunding of education that needs to happen. We need to reallocate funds to rebuild our education system in this country so that we have an education system that supports kids named King and River, right? So our babies, Omari, like, so that our, our black boys and girls who come from out of households who understand that they are, full human beings and have um, freedom of movement and rights and don't have to just be robots and regurgitating white American history all the time. So that's my son, who's always been a problem in private schools in Detroit because the curriculum doesn't match his fire, doesn't match his freedom. They don't like it. So he's a threat. And so um, we need curriculum that puts a book like we want our bodies back. And so, cause we don't start putting these books in curriculum. People can buy my books all day. We need to add it to the curriculum of school systems at the, at the high school level. This could be a book inside an English literature class. Absolutely. My high school students can get with it, you know, and, and college kids need it. Cause I go to colleges all the time. You know, I do these universities and these students don't know anything except for the same dead white men that I knew when I came out of high school when it was dinosaurs, okay? So like T.S. Eliot, Whitman, Shakespeare, Robert Frost, that's all they know. They know the same, and they might know Maya Angelou. And maybe they got my sister, you know, Mother Alice Walker, you know? But for the majority, like, they don't know. They don't know these radical revolutionary writers that have been writing for them. They don't know Toni Morrison. Why isn't Toni Morrison in the curriculum? You know, and so that's, you know, like the bluest eyes, you know, yeah, add it. You know, and so you got those progressive, amazing educators like Chris Edmond, who's doing hip hop ed, 
you know, um, and I'm also, I'm also pushing the, my brothers and sisters in the hip hop pedagogy world to include poetry because they don't do it enough either. You know, I was like, don't stop with, you know, rappers, don't stop, you know, go like put, dig deep and, and bring poets because young people connect with poetry. It's a beautiful educational a weapon, you know, to get our literacy rates up because you could, you know, reading essays may be a little more difficult, but able to get through a poem that's, you know, two or three pages um, where they feel like it's accessible and, and it's a voice that's talking to them that's talking from the same community that they come from. And so, I mean, the book is real special. It's my best collection, absolutely. It's um, some of my strongest work. And I'm going to hopefully read at least one poem before we get off the air, I hope. No, no, actually, I, I want, I mean, first, I need, I'm serious, folks. I need you, like, for real. You're listening to the phenomenal Jessica Caremore, and she is one of the poets of our day. And we are blessed to have her with us here and we are talking about her new book um, that she has, We Want Our Bodies Back, which made her one of the first black women poets to publish a book, a book with HarperCollins since Gwendolyn Brooks, y'all. Like, this is a really, really big deal. And just, I would just such a, appreciate if you would actually right now just bless the people um, who are all going to buy the book, We Want Our Bodies Back, but you can bless Please. them right now. <laughs> Um, with okay. one of your poems, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I want to read um, Where Are the People, since I've been talking about what we need more of in, in, in gentrification in our cities and communities. So where are the people for the bodies we can no longer locate? And I wrote this poem where me and my son King got a pizza with pepperoni on it by accident and from one of the new pizza spots. And we drove up Cat in Cass Corridor, which is a very heavily gentrified area in Detroit by Wayne State University, looking for someone to give us a, a pizza to and couldn't find anyone. So this is for them. Where are the one-way tickets? Who signed the death certificates? Where are the magicians, the madmen, the toothless, the smoothless, the poets, the corner store prophets, the bus stop historians, the traffic stoppers? Where are the people? Where are the blues? Under which pile of gravel? Where are they buried? Hurricane cast corridor, hurricane cast corridor. Where is the soil, the soil, the socks, the soles, the shoes? Where is the soil, the soil, the socks, the soles, the shoes? Where is the heroin? Where are the pills? Where are the women? Where are the thrills? Where is cast corridor? My student asked. Is it a building? Is it this way? Is it that way? Your school is sitting in it. I answer you. Is it the dogs are walking the people? The dogs have parks. The parks don't have children. Where are the people? Where are the people that stepped over the forgotten Holocaust? The fragile, the beautiful, the fast talkers, the backward walkers, the 3 a.m. stalkers. Where did they take them? When will they return? Where is the balance? Where is the money? Where are the schools? Where are the people? We all got Wi-Fi. Nobody getting high outside. Where are the beds? Where where is they heads? Where are the recognizable street signs? Where is Joe Lewis? Where are the black people? My white neighbor asked me, Jessica, where are the black people? Where are the chosen people? Where are our hearts, our guitars, our bass players, Kenny Mack, Anthony Tolson, rest in peace. Where are the anointed, the children of God? Where is the sage, the holy water? Where is the black imagination located? How much does it cost per square foot to rent there? Is there a rent to own your own black imagination option? Where are the couples fighting in the alley? Where are the people? Where are the purple flavor Mad Dog 2020 labels? Where are the needles? Where is the good time? Where did all these goddamn bike lanes come from? Where is the line to simply exist? Where is the painted line to live? 
to breathe? Where are the parks with swings? Where are the children supposed to live? Where are the children supposed to run? Where are the twilight teasers, the moonlight mythology makers? Where are our military vets are mentally ill? Where are the people? Where are the people? Where are the people? San Francisco, Oakland, Harlem, Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta, Minneapolis. Do you know? Do you know? Have you seen them? Do you know? Do you know, huh? Do they all die so New Detroit could live? Do they all die so New San Francisco could live? Do they all die so New Brooklyn could live? Where is your conscience? Where is this nonsense coming from? Where is humanity? Where is humanity? Where are the people? The one-way tickets? The message is still in the bottle. Where are the indigenous? Where are the salt mines? Where are the people? Where are the people? Where are the people? When you find them, please tell them. I have an overpriced gentrified cheese and pork pizza with their names on it. Tell them I am writing for them so they won't disappear without a fight. So that's for that's when we want our bodies mm. back. That's one of my wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Man, like listen, that is phenomenal. If that don't make you want to go out right now <laughs> and just and go and get we want our bodies back right now. Uh, then, then I'm gonna tell you, uh, you need to do that. Thank you for that. You know, I I was told here I wanted to to read <laughs> one of your poems really? in in Detroit today, uh, and it was uh, uh, regarding the health crisis of COVID nineteen. And now oh, I see yeah. how it feels after hearing you read your poem. I know how people tell me they said I don't want to go behind <laughs> Rev speaking. I don't want to go behind you. Reading uh, <laughs> this, this poem. I don't know if it's you have the poem good. in front of you. Um, mornings are so heavy. Oh, that short poem. Yes. Oh, Rev, you can read that poem now. Come on now. Listen, that's not a. I, I, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I would love to hear you read it. Okay. Oh, man. Now, now, now I have to read it. That's okay, beautiful. Well, yes. Mornings are so heavy. Birds in silence. Tea whistle on repeat. Isolation is not always a safe place. I know little girls wishing for wings now. Women who can't escape violence by staying in anymore. The birds know all. Singing is an act of survival. This morning is heavy. Silence cuts the air, thin as needles searching for an opening. That's so beautiful. Thank you for reading my poem. <laughs> Isolate. These are some of my poems I've been writing in isolation. You know, it's been um, it's been interesting. You know, I I've lost a lot of people. Rev, like you know, if I talk about it, I'll just be crying on on the radio show with you. But um, I started losing people real early. I think I lost at least five people in one week, and it just you know I went from being traumatized by losing, I don't know, thousands of dollars in, in, in money for to take care of my child and to, to live <laughs> um, in March and April, which are big months for me, to losing my friends, losing people I love. And then my friends, parents and grandparents and aunties and siblings started to die in Detroit. I mean, I'm probably at 30 plus people, you know, just in the city of Detroit that I know have died. Um, you know, and so it's it's hard for me, you know, to, you know, so that that's, that's that poem, like, really speaks to, like, how I feel. You know, I go on my patio and I'm watching these birds and it started thinking about, like, other people. Like, I'm thinking about, okay, you know, you can think about your own um, issue or you could say, wow, what's it like for a little girl that's in the house with an abuser? 
then I must be home with her abuser every day who's not working and probably in a bad mood. Um, domestic violence rates went up tremendously during um, during this quarantine time. Um, women now w- who wait for their, their husbands to leave to go to work so they don't um, get beat up during the day, um, you know, just maybe just in the evening time when he comes home. And so domestic violence rates, you know, I don't care about the divorce rates. The domestic violence rates are the ones that are, are the problem. And so, you know, children who go to school to be fed and also for safety away from abusive parents. Um, and so that's, I started just, you know, feeling sorry for my, myself and, you know, you know, money is um, the, the least of, it's just doesn't, money doesn't matter, you know? And so it's not, it's people matter and, and lives matter. And so, you know, it's been a, it's been a deep thing. And, I, and even my son, who's 13 and a half, you know, I say, I call him little, my little, my little Gandhi. And I'm like Nat Turner, Malcolm X mama. And, you know, and balancing out all the things that I already know with all the things that he's learning, going through this, you know, um, going from, you know, being in school to not being in school, going to online schooling and, and, and watching, you know, Buildings be caught on fire and him quest- asking me question- hard, heavy questions about resistance and what's the right thing, mommy, and what's what's the correct thing. And me having to explain to my son, you know, when you see that building that's on fire, I said, if, if you just go outside and you came outside and mommy was on fire and then the building was on fire, who you want the fire trucks to put out first? You want mommy to get, you know, the water to clean or survive or you want to save a building because the building got insurance. And, but, but mommy's life can't come back. And so that's the reason. So we don't, buildings are not what's deep. You know, we, we're talking about people's lives versus buildings. And, and so it's been a good learning, you know, but yeah, but COVID is um, a longer piece that I wrote is called um, Ramadan 20 versus COVID-19. You know, I think and I, I mentioned three of my girlfriends who've been pregnant and having babies, one that's already given birth, uh, two that given birth and one that's I think going to give birth soon. Because um, life, you know, life continues, you know, despite all of this happening, uh, all this disgracefulness that's happening with um, this country right now, you know, how, how many people we have lost and um, and lots of black and brown lives. And that's, you know, that speaks to what you speak about. Like that has to do with environmental justice. That has to do with lack of health care. Um, that has to do with every fast food restaurant is in our neighborhood. Um, it's because we're, you know, killing ourselves with the food that we eat. When they were having these town halls, when Puffy had this big event with a whole bunch of folks, uh, like Killer Mike and all these folks, I was like, y'all need to bring Queen Afua on. Like, you need to bring the healers on. Like, you don't need to talk to no hip hop artists about what to do during these times because our people need to heal our bodies and we're not eating the food that is going to save us because the hospitals, when you go to die, you know, and shout out to the frontline workers and my friends who are, you know, absolutely incredible doctors. But what I'm saying is the people I know that got sick, that survived, stayed home and they didn't get on a ventilator and they walked and they didn't lay down on a bed. And they, you know, they did all the things that we do, the natural healing pieces with black seed oil and apple cider vinegar and ginger and vitamin C and doing all the things that should be a part of our kitchens already. Right. So the things that people are going to buy are things that I already had in my kitchen. Our kitchens have to be where we heal ourselves. And the problem is our kitchens, unfortunately, are helping to kill us. And then without access to health care. So when we have you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, all these things that we're dealing with. I mean, how many of my brothers I know that are going to get colonoscopies? They're, they're like there's 
there's an issue with health that we have to confront. And um, because we have what we don't know where this thing came from um, or why it's attacking our respiratory system at a greater rate. But it's because of those the pre-existing condition we know is just being black in America. It's it's not a cough. It's just it's racism. It's a, that's a part of the problem. Not access to good food, healthy food, local food. Um, you know, we have to take organic back from white folks. You know, I would say like, you know, organic is we are we the most organic thing in the world. Black and brown people are people from the earth. Like our our grandmothers, great grandmothers, they grew their they grew their food. We grew gardens. Gardening is not for white folks. That's not they didn't create gardening. <laughs> That's us. Like my backyard, I got black eyed peas, collard greens, beets, you know, carrots, squash. What? I ain't thinking about that grocery store. I'm like, girl, my we have to learn how to tomatoes know how to grow our own food so we can go in our backyard and feed our families and not rely on these cracked out so-called grocery stores that have a whole bunch of MS5 number 12 and all this other nastiness, feeding our kids sugary cereal, you know, just all the things that affect our brain and our mentality and our spirituality. So like, you know, my body, spirit, health is something that we have to like tap into. That has nothing to do with outside culture. That's us healing our own communities, but we need to bring the healers into those conversations when we're having those national conversations and make sure that we're bringing people who can tell us what to do, how to fast, how to do a juice fast, you know, things that you're not told. You know, my son is learning these things because of me, but everybody doesn't have access. It's an education problem um, that we're, that we're dealing with. So I don't even know what the question was, Rev. I'm just talking. No, 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 no. We, 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 we doing what we do. This is, this is how it is. We are, Man, that was that was powerful though. And actually, speaking of your yeah. son, uh, I actually so for those who are listening, me and Jess actually share yeah. in the fact that our sons are both named Come King. On now. Come so on now. Her son is her son is name is King, and my son is named King. And my my I have two boys, and one is named River. And also, just want a quick shout out for those, yes. the, the the producers of this show is actually Cross and Destiny and Brother T.C. Muhammad, my dear brother. I bring Brother T.C. to this conversation yeah. because he's been around me forever and forever and forever. Those who know mm-hmm. T.C., so he's been around me forever. But one of the things people don't know is that I had to raise my two sons by myself. T.C. always be like, you should say that. I actually, I think to now, I don't, actually, I don't think I've really ever said that wow. before. And so, Shout um, out to single fathers. And so T.C., yeah, and that's what TC, I bring up TC. TC would be like, yo, Rev, you need to say that so much more because I think that people need to know that, man, they knew that you were a single black father raising these two yeah. boys. I think people need to hear that. So TC, that was really for you, my brother, because you've always wanted me to say that. Uh, and I, I've said that now probably because now my boys, uh, my king and my mm. river, are, are now uh, older. I bring that up because obviously... Um, my youngest king, um, who's engaged and wants to be involved with a lot of different things. And my oldest son, River, is actually a hockey player. Oh, yes. He yes. plays college hockey up there in Maine. I bring him up because uh, Jessica's son, King, yes. is both uh, into poetry and a lot of different things and music, but he's also a hockey yes, player. So she got like both my sons in one. I love it. I love <laughs> like, he got, got the like name both. and the and I love hearing with, with um, black um, children, young people and um, playing hockey. I love that he's playing at, at a college level because that is also our sport. So that's, you it know, is. and folks yes. don't know the history yes. of black hockey. And uh, King, my, King Moore, my, my son is actually working on a children's book 
based on his own experience of playing hockey. I should have told you that, but he's working on that now, um, working on his own story to talk about how he got on the ice and how that changed his life. And wow. so, yeah. And it, because there's, you know, it doesn't exist yet. And so, you know, and then the NHL, I got to give it up to the Red Wings, Detroit Red Wings, my favorite hockey team in the whole world. <laughs> I got to say that. Um, so, who is bringing street hockey into public schools in Detroit. Now this initiative, of course, um, was going to happen in the fall, but because of COVID, we don't know what's going to happen. But they're bringing street hockey um, um, to materials into the gym. So in addition to basketball or whatever else they can play during recess, they can also have street hockey, which we're hoping will translate into them learning about the game and getting them on the ice to some of these hockey rings. So shout out to Bustle on the West Side yeah. uh, Arena, where I saw all my boys in Detroit play hockey. Black men play hockey. Like when I said that to New York, they were like, what you mean? I said, no, black folks in Detroit. I was like, everybody play hockey there. What are you talking? It's a, you know, it's an extension of our culture. We're across the street from Canada. But black folks, African folks in Canada created the hit, you know, created hockey, the Say game that. as we know it. It's our sport. So they take the things that we create and push them into other cultures and pretend like they made it. And it's not that when people think of hockey, they don't think they think of some some white boy with a couple of teeth missing, you know, or a Canadian kid, you know, but no, black it's 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 for us. The sport was created by us. And when you see black, I love seeing them brothers on the ice. And I and some I know some black girls that can skate they bust off too out of Detroit that play. <laughs> yes, indeed. No, no, no. And shout out for them because I'm so happy. Actually, give a let's actually want to get NHL shout out to them because they actually have been doing yep. a, a great yep. job. Um, in that in that arena, they actually have been doing some things, and River on the college ranks been doing some stuff with them. We have to connect um, River. And it's just been me. amazing. We got to connect them. That's a good. That's a good oh, mentor. Yeah. That, that's, well, actually, I gotta no. Most we definitely gonna do that, but I got a surprise for you because you know Ken yeah. is an author, as you mentioned, and a poet himself. Yes. So I actually want to play for you a poem <laughs> that King recited <laughs> from his book. Okay. Yelling, shouting, all the screams echoing in the air. That scream doesn't go away. It stays in the earth's core, waiting for another sentence to make this world explode. Staying silent so you can live to see your son's sons and your daughter's daughters. Don't stand there and just be silent. Stay loud. Don't wait. Stay loud. Make the change with your voice. Stay loud. Don't lose your truth. Stay loud. When you hear that, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I miss that kid because he's gone. He's 13 and a half and his voice does not sound like this voice is heavier and deeper than mine. I wish he was here right now so I could throw him on this on this interview so you can hear his hello, Rev. And so um, I'm really pushing him. And he's he, I, he's more into music now than the poems. He, he's written beautiful poems, though, for Muhammad Ali and some more. He's evolved um, and his writing has um, evolved with him. And I'm interested because King is just a thinker. And so he's thinking about the world. He's thinking about all the things. And so I'm excited about what's going to happen to see him as a teenager. But, you know, super cool poetry is something he was the youngest night arts winner in history. So he won his $15,000 matching grant when he was nine years old, which was tremendous. And had this incredible program that we took all over the place, the Science Center, the Motown Museum. Um, we did it in Ghana, which was one of the most amazing experiences um, for him, I'm sure, and me to watch my son engage in about 75 young Ghanaian youth um, 
in Jamestown doing workshops and then hosting his super cool poetry open mic. So he got to take his open mic to Ghana and then we gave away books and he did a book signing. And, um, and so I'm watching his growth and he's, I, um, as I told you before, he's working on a book now about um, his experience as a young black hockey player um, for a more for, for a children's book to get more young people of color interested in the, in the game of hockey. Uh, so yeah, King is King, man. You know, it makes me really proud, you know, and we, you know, he's going through those, those teenage things. I've been quarantined with a teenager. There should be a self-help, a group first. There should be some support system. Okay. <laughs> listen. No, listen. Yeah. Listen, listen, I'm with you on that. So just, I just have, I just have one more question for you. I just want to thank you for your time, for your gift who you are. We're going to actually close this show out with a song you did um, with us on our, on our album, Home, uh, Heal Our Mother Earth. Yeah, we're going to close out this song, folks. We're going to close this thing out with uh, a song, One of Us, so you did with Candace Glover. And um, But I have a, my last question to you is this. This is my last question to you. Um, it's really this something that I asked... Um, Tamika Mallory, when she's on the show a couple weeks back, and many others, it's kind of the same theme. It's it's more so if you can speak to um, those a hundred years from now. They are now like Sonia Sanchez and like me, Braca, and now looking up. They're just like a care more. They're looking you up, and a hundred years from now, they're reading your poetry. They're seeing your activism. They're, you know, they're they're looking up like we do for those who have like eight, like for us looking up Langston Hughes or whoever. Um, if you can speak to them right now in this moment and what we are going through from Breonna Taylor to George Floyd to you, Ahmaud Arbery, to on and on, um, Ayana, little Ayana in Detroit, this, the on and on and on and on and on. And amidst everything from Flint and water to this current president, to everything that we are going on, but you can speak to them about you, who you were as a black woman. What would you want to tell well, them? Well, I want to first uh, say that, and to reiterate something I said earlier, is that uh, we're the ones they couldn't kill. And and I and I say that and that they want to let them know that despite um, what it looks like right now, that that there are beautiful people in the world. I know people. Some people have given up on on there being good people. That you know there are no good cops. There are no uh, good educators. Um, most of it's corrupt. Their prison population, um, you know, doesn't reflect what the society, what the country looks like. There's too many of us in, in, in jail, and it's you know prison school to prison pipeline is very real, but that they should know that they should be proud and that they come from a great people and that there were women and men like me on the front line. There were artists who didn't just sit down, um, who didn't just look at it on television, but actually showed up um, to protest, showed up to prisons, showed up to schools um, and pulled somebody along so that they could actually Exist. So if in a hundred years from now, whoever, whoever is here, like they're the ones and you are the survivors of, of a great people. And I always explain that and say that to my son today is that you're here because somebody fought, because somebody pushed through, because someone died, because someone 
decided that they weren't going to die today. And um, I'm not ready to die. Um, and, and my son and my and my friends, my family, my community, we ain't ready to die. And that, you know, um, and that and that's why you're still here. Is that because there were people here who were writing for you, who were waiting for you, and that is now up to you to make sure that we continue. Um, and that has a lot to do with the environment. That has a lot to do with how we take care of our bodies. Um, and so I guess that's what I would say that, you know, I, I, I'm not writing for myself at this point. I'm writing to leave something behind. And that it's like, you know, if you got my hold of my books and you have found me, then I have done my job because I'm not always, you know, uh, people who are like that I that I walk with. The people that have inspired me the most were people I had to go dig up the same way Alice Walker had to go get Zora Neale Hurston. So my hope is that don't make it harder for my our next generation in the next hundred years. Don't make it hard for them to find me. Um, I know I wasn't on white mainstream presses. <laughs> uh, I was a black institution builder. And that that's what makes me special um, and that I was building black institutions and that was amplifying black voices and that I, you know, executive produced uh, an incredible uh, concert and educational series called Black Series called Black Women Rock to celebrate uh, black women that you may not hear on the radio. You're going to have to go. The, the things that you need and the people that you need to carry you through are not going to be the ones you can easily find and that you have to stay curious and you have to do the research and work. And if you found me, then you have found, then you have found Kimberly Nicole, you have found Divinity Rocks, you have found Julie Dexter, you found Imani Azuri, you found Tamar Kali, you found Talib Kweli, you know, you found hip hop, you found good MCs, you found Muslim break dancers, you found women <laughs> um, who care about their children, you found mothers, you found revolutionaries. So finding me is finding a piece of culture um, that you can take with you and pass down. So I think, is that good enough? <laughs> mm, that is beyond good enough. Thank you, Jessica. And 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 if folks want to find you, give them the website and how they can oh, get yeah. in contact with you and, and how they can buy the books. Well, all the young people on Instagram, you know, go to Instagram. I'm Jessica Care More. They didn't let me have my E. I'm on Instagram, jessicacaremore.com to get my books. Um, that's me on Facebook, Instagram, all those other spaces that are not our own. Our own. If you want to get, um, but jessicacaremore.com is mine. Um, the, the book, We Want Our Bodies Back, can, you can can be found everywhere. It's on barnesandnobles.com. It's on amazon.com. If you don't want to support Amazon, you can go to a local bookstore in your community. You can order the book through a local Black-owned bookstore, Source Booksellers in Detroit, Sankofa Books in D.C., um, there's a DC bookshop in Dallas. There's uh, I did the one in Chicago. I forgot the sister's name is. There's black-owned bookstores, an independent woman revolution 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 book. Shout out to them in Harlem. Um, you know these independent bookstores. The reason why I went to a virtual book tour is to support these independent bookstores that need support right now. So yeah, go to your local bookstore and order the book, and and please order several and give them away as gifts. And it's yeah, we want our bodies back. And I appreciate you, Rev. Thank you for having me on and giving me a space and amplifying my voice because not everyone does that on a radio podcast brings poets on. And so I appreciate you just like being an extension of the culture, the way you have been and recognizing that hip hop culture is, is more than five elements and that we have a lot of other folks contributing to culture um, in many different ways. And our young people need to know them. So, and on that note, that 
is Jessica Caramore, founder and CEO of More Black Press, executive producer of Black Women Rock, and founder of the literacy-driven Just Care More Foundation. She is our guest today, and I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. The Rich and Famous. If God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him and all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question?